Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. It is good to open the Word of God this morning. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 100, so if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 100. For those of you who have been with us, you know we've been walking through uh, the the gospel, or not the gospel, but the the book of James, and uh, we finished chapter 3 last week, and so we're going to take a bit of a break from that and uh, focus on a few other things, and then we'll pick back that, pick that back up uh, here in several weeks. But um, it's Thanksgiving week, and so if you notice in Psalm 100, at the very top of that uh, chapter, if, you, if your Bible has titles, it will say a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of thanksgiving. Today's message is entitled, A Life of Thanksgiving, A Life of Thanksgiving. I'm convinced that as we live in a time like no other, we need to live lives like no other. James has been talking about that, teaching us about what it means to have a faith that works, a faith that's authentic. And I believe one aspect of that, one reality of that is that we are a people of gratitude. That we as Christians, as followers of Christ, need to understand how we live in this world. We live a life of thankfulness. And so if you would turn with me and open your Bibles, let's read from Psalm 100 this morning. It says this, it says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Church, be thankful. God has called us to be a people of thankfulness. When I was growing up, one of the things that my parents tried to instill within me was just an attitude of thankfulness. They, they wanted to, to foster that in my life. And so one of the ways that took place was my mom, anytime that I would say thank you for something, she would reinforce that by saying thank you for being thankful. Now, she did it over and over and over again, and it got quite annoying at times, just to be honest with you. So annoying that now I do it to my children, right? But there were moments along the way where she would say, thank you for being thankful. And I would want to respond, well, thank you for being thankful that I was thankful. Which then would make her have to say, well, thank you for being thankful that I was thankful that you were thankful. And it was just going to carry on and on and on. And and it's silly, but like that's, that's something that they did, my parents did to instill within me this understanding that as a follower of Christ, our lives are to be lives of thanksgiving. Church, we need to be thankful. Scripture is clear. Over 140 references in Scripture say, give thanks. Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 17 that there was 10 lepers that encountered Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, In their misery, in their desperation, they cried out. And the scripture says that they cried out for mercy. And Jesus, being full of mercy, full of grace, full of compassion and care and concern, 
looks to them and says, go and show yourself to the priest. Now it's interesting that it's not until they're on their way to the priest that the healing takes place. So they're walking to the priest and all of a sudden the scripture says that they were healed. And while they're walking to the priest, it says that one of them recognized what had happened and stopped and turned around and went back to Jesus. And it says that he glorified God and then threw himself on the ground at his feet and gave thanks. And Jesus' response to that individual was fascinating. He says, weren't there ten? Weren't there ten? Church, don't miss this. Let's make sure we're the one. Let's not be a people who are the nine. We need to live a life of thankfulness. Jerry Bridges, he's an author, he said this, we live in a culture that is anxious to receive, yet too careless to give thanks. I believe that as Christ followers, as we live our lives in this world, as we are to be salt and light in this dark world, that one of the ways that we exemplify that we follow Christ is that we understand a heart and a life of gratitude and thankfulness. So today's message is very simple. It's this, give thanks. Give thanks. Psalm chapter 100 we see three truths that I want to pull out of this to help us foster this in our lives. You're about to go to feasts this week with your family. You're, you're gathering together. We have some family here in this room who are out of town visiting. We have some of our folks who are out visiting family. We, we gather together, and church, don't miss this. We don't need to allow our lives to celebrate thankfulness just one time a year. It needs to be a part of who we are. So how do we do that? Number one is this, if you're taking notes, it's this. We need to understand the grounds of thanksgiving. The grounds of thanksgiving. What, what, is it that we, what, what is it that we stand upon that gives us this attitude, this lifestyle of giving thanks? Notice verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 100 says, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. This, this scene that's set up, it's this triumphant, jubilant, joyful expression of the whole earth gathering before God Almighty and declaring his praise, declaring who he is. It's joyful. It's exciting. It's this grand picture of God's rule over the whole earth and the people of the earth recognizing that reality. We see this expression of Understanding that there's no clarification as to the circumstances of our life which determine whether we do this or not. He just says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly. It's not, if, if, if your search, cir uh, circumstances and situation is good, then you have a posture and a ground to be able to express joy and triumph. No, he just calls us all, regardless of our circumstances, to shout joyfully, to shout in joy at the grandeur of God. Church, the grounds for our thanksgiving is God himself. It's God himself. Listen, notice in verse 3, he shows us this. He says, acknowledge that the Lord is 
God. There's this understanding which we come to recognize, not just a, a intellectual knowledge, not just a, a, a mental uh, de- declaration that, that he is God, but this acknowledge, it means that we literally come under him, we submit to him. There's a personal relationship, there's a recognition, acknowledging with all that we are that he and he alone is God and not us. Church, do you recognize who God is, have you acknowledged him as Lord of your life? That it says in scripture that he made us, he has ownership of us, that, he, that we are his people, that gives him authority over us. So when we acknowledge him, we recognize those realities, those characteristics of who he is and who we are in light of that and out of that becomes the grounds for which we give thanks. Church, one of my favorite things to do at Thanksgiving is eat right? Like football is good, family is good, all those things, but the food is good, especially the dessert. Amen. Amen. But before the dessert comes the food, and before the food in our family comes a time where we sit around the table and we just go around one at a time and just say one thing that you're thankful for. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but you just go around the table and, you know, the kids say, you know, thankful for dad. I'm like, yeah. And the next kid says, mom. I'm like, boo. But there's a sense in which we give thanks vocally. We practice thankfulness. What are we doing in that moment? What we're doing is we're acknowledging that there is something else that God himself provides and gives and that our sustenance, our life, the things that we have don't come from us, but they come from him. Church, it's good to practice this. Notice what he says about who this God is. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. Listen, the grounds for our thanksgiving is rooted in his character. He made us. What is his character? He is a God of creation. He is the creator. We are his people. That means we are under his rule. He is king over us. And then he says we are his sheep of his pasture, which means that he is the shepherd of our lives. So as we think through these three aspects of who God is as revealed in scripture to us, when we think about creation, there's a sense in which the creator carries a responsibility for that which he has created. And this is the beauty of God. He didn't just speak creation into existence, spin it out there and throw it out there and hope it goes well. No, he has a love and a care and a concern for that which he created. And so he is intimately involved with his creation. And by the way, that is you, that is me. And so we see this in Scripture when Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed after they had rebelled against God. God clothed them. God clothed them. When the people of God have been delivered from Egypt and they're walking through the wilderness and they're looking around saying, God, we are hungry. God fed them. In the New Testament, when Zacchaeus when he is understanding that he is a person of sinfulness and he is hearing about this Jesus, he tries to get to Jesus. And so he climbs up the sycamore tree because of the crowd. He couldn't get to Jesus. What does Jesus do? His creator, he says, 
get down off of that tree, and he goes to his house with him. When Peter, when he had denied Jesus, when he had denied Jesus three times, what does Jesus do? He sits down around a fire with Peter, and he cooks some fish, and he restores Peter. Do you see the intimate connection that the creator has with his creation? He knows what's going on in your world. He knows what's going on in your life, and he cares deeply for you. As king, it says that we are his people, which means he's ruler over us. He has authority over us. He is a just and righteous king. And the beauty of this relationship where we are his people, there is a sense in which there's freedom and the trust that we can have over who he is as king of our life. We find joy and thankfulness in surrendering and submission to him as king because he is a good king. You see, the problem is, is that we like to make ourselves king of our lives, And when we do that, when we foster a pride to think that we ourselves are rulers of our own lives, we lose any ability to offer thanks. As shepherd, he says we are the sheep of his pasture. The shepherd provides and the shepherd protects. It's just interesting that all throughout scripture, we're known as the sheep. If you know anything about sheep, they're not the brightest animals. I love that God has chosen to to use us to describe us as that. And and really what it is, is that the sheep, and it's a beautiful picture because the sheep are desperately dependent upon the shepherd. There's no sense in which the sheep can survive without the shepherd. And it's a beautiful picture of how God has related to us and how we relate to God. In scripture, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. In this scripture right here in Psalm 100, what does he say? It doesn't just say that we are his sheep. It says that we are the sheep of his pasture. And don't miss the beauty in the picture of what's happening here. Think about this idea of the pasture and what's so important about the pasture is that the sheep need to be in the pasture. Why? Because it's the pasture that has life, that has sustenance, it has all that we need. And it's the shepherd's responsibility to lead the sheep to the right pasture. If you're in the wrong pasture where there's no water, where there's no grass, where there's no sustenance, the sheep will die off. But the sense that the shepherd cares for the sheep is going to lead the sheep to green pastures. I think back to the people of Israel, God's chosen people. They're captive in Egypt. They're slaves. They're in a very difficult spot, but God, because of his promise, because of his loving kindness, because of his faithful love, says, I'm going to rescue you from your slavery, and I'm going to deliver you to what we now refer to as what? The promised land. And it's interesting, on the journey to the promised land, he takes them through a wilderness to give them an understanding of God's provision. Remember, they were hungry in the wilderness, so what does God do? He feeds them. He calls down manna from heaven. There's a sense in which he provides for them, but then he leads them into this promised land. And I want you to picture this understanding of this promised land is similar to this idea of the pasture of God. 
We are the sheep of his pasture. God was leading them to his pasture, the promised land. Now, why is this interesting? If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 10 through 12, the writer there, he describes, he compares and contrasts Egypt with the promised land. Listen to how he describes it in verse 10. He says, for the land you are entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt. In other words, it's different. He goes on, he says, the land from which of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated by hand as in a vegetable garden. In other words, when you were in Egypt, you had to work for your provision. There was a sense in which you had to till the soil, you had to plant the seeds, you had to water the seeds, you had to do all the work, and then hopefully it would produce enough for you to sustain yourself. Then he goes on. He says, but the land that you are entering to possess is a land of mountains and valleys. Listen, watered by rain from the sky. It is the land the Lord your God cares for. He is always watching over it from the beginning to the end of the year. In other words, I am taking you from a place of toil and labor and striving, and I'm taking you to a place where it is a land that I care for, I provide, and it will give and breathe life for you. It's the pasture of the good shepherd. So he leads us as his sheep. We are his sheep of his pasture. Church, which pasture are you walking in? Which pasture are you living in? Because if you're living in the pasture of God, then he has supplied all your needs, which becomes the grounds for which we give thanks. It's really interesting if you go to the New Testament where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. You remember that, right? Where he says all these I am statements and he says, I am the good shepherd. And we're like, praise the Lord for being a good shepherd. It's really interesting in that same text, he also calls himself, he says, I am the door. Do you remember that? And you're like, the door, what is, what is the door? Well, in other translations, it says, I am the, the, uh, the, the sheepfold, the, the, the gate, if you will. And the picture is that the sheep have a sheep pen. This is where they would sleep at night. The shepherd would take them there so that they would be safe and secure. But the intent is not that the sheep remain in the sheepfold. The intent is that they get out of the sheepfold and they go into the pasture. But don't miss this. The only way in and out of the sheepfold is through the door. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's the one that's leading you out to the pasture. Don't miss this. He's also the door through which you go to get there. He becomes the door where there was no other door. In other words, you were trapped, you were stuck, there was no hope, there was no way for you to get into the pasture of God, to the place of sustenance and life that he and he alone gives unless there was a door. And he became the door, he became the pathway, he became the, the way for us to be able to move into that place of life. Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my, say it with me, Shepherd, and then he goes on, therefore I have what I need. He becomes the grounds for our thanksgiving. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ Jesus. 
Philippians 4, verse 19. It says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches, his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1, 3, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Do you see that which we have in Christ Jesus, in God? He is the grounds for which we give thanks. What is your thankfulness grounded in? Church, I Listen, I know I, my heart breaks for what some of you are walking through. We, we, we all carry things in life. We, we, we face seasons of ups and we face seasons of down. And, and, and the truth of the matter is what Scripture is teaching us is that there's a constant. There's a constant in it and it is God himself. And when we root ourselves in that, when we stand upon that, Christ, my solid rock upon which I stand, then we can foster a heart of gratitude and thankfulness regardless of the circumstances we're walking through. And this is what he's called us to. And this is what the world needs to see out of the followers of Jesus. So number two, first we looked at the grounds for Thanksgiving, number two, is the overflow of Thanksgiving. You ever met those people who just overflow thankfulness? They're just thankful for everything, and you're like, come on, are you really that thankful? What's the overflow of Thanksgiving in your life? Where it's been poured up, filled up, and it just comes out of your life. Notice verse four. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. In his courts with praise, give thanks to him and bless his name. See, the psalmist, what he's doing here is he's tying the connection. He's tying the knots between this idea of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness and worship. See, the overflow of thankfulness in our life is worship. It's declaring praise to God. It's, it's giving him the glory. Why? Because he's the grounds upon which we're thankful if you go back to verse 2, where it says, serve the Lord with gladness, my translation says serve. Some of your translations may actually say, worship the Lord with gladness. Well, which is it? It's actually both. The word there carries this weightiness of worship, that worship is not simply just coming into a room and singing songs at the top of our lungs. But worship is actually rooted in the nature of who we are and how we live our lives in attitudes, in, in uh work of, of servanthood and serving others and serving Christ. It's, it's sacrificing our lives for the sake of God and his glory. So some translators look at it and say it's more on the serve side. Well, sometimes, let's just be honest, we serve for more of a checking off the list than a heart of worship. And so what we need to do is tie these two things together to say that in a gratitude lifestyle and a heart of thankfulness is going to overflow out of us in a way that we serve others as an act of worship for the glory of God. But also when we gather together as the saints of Jesus Christ, we are so excited for who God is and what he's done in us. We shout triumphantly and we give praise. We worship with gladness as we enter into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. Listen, the overflow of our hearts, if we are truly grateful, is going to be a people of praise, a people of worship for God and his glory. 
You know, it's interesting, when we lose our spirit of thankfulness, we lose our spirit of worship. Imagine coming into this room frustrated. A sense in which things just aren't fair. You just, you don't have what you want. It's not the, it's not what you wish. Maybe a little bitterness. Let me ask you a question. If you carry that into this room for worship, are you going to be able to worship the Lord? I don't think so. I don't think so. And so we need to recognize and we need to understand what it means for us to give thanks. Is It's an overflow of worship. What does the psalmist say? Enter his courts, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks. It's such a simple word. And it's so powerful and so important. Why? Because he and he alone is God. This is why we do it. It's interesting that science has caught up to us. Right? Don't you love it when God creates things in a certain way and then science finally figures it out? That's probably a good thing to do. Scripture says to give thanks. Well, now science is telling you that it's good for you. The University of Berkeley, California, University of California, Berkeley, found that people who regularly practice gratitude or people who give thanks are mentally healthier, happier, and build an emotional bank account. Imagine that. God says, I've created you and designed you. And one of the things that is good for you is that you practice giving thanks. Oh, and by the way, it's actually just good for you. We need this in our lives. Why? Why is that? Why is science showing that it's good for us? Because it comes from our heart. And the scripture declares, Proverbs 4, 23, that we need to guard our heart above all else. Why? Because it is the source or the wellspring of life. But this is, this is important, church. Don't miss this. It says, guard your heart. Do you know what the enemy of thankfulness is? It's envy. The enemy of thankfulness in our heart is when we foster envy within our hearts. James taught us this in James 3 last week as we studied that this toxic reality of when we allow envy and bitterness and these things to grow in our lives, when we allow this pride to grow in our life, it destroys us. It hinders us to look to God and to overflow a blessing of gratitude and, and worship before God. And it leads us down this path of discontentment and despair. So you think back to this understanding of the different pastures. If we're walking in the pastures of the good shepherd, right? Like in that, it's breeding life. It's breeding health. It's breeding sustenance. It's breeding joy and triumph and all these things that, that God's pasture is breeding in our hearts and growing in our hearts. But if we don't guard that and we find ourselves walking in a pasture of envy and bitterness and pride and jealousy and want and self-provision and materialism and all these things, it breeds animosity and bitterness and it destroys us and we won't be able to have an overflow of thanksgiving and worship in our lives. Church, when we practice thanksgiving, it moves us from our circumstances to our Savior. And in that, it draws us into worship. It overflows out of us in worship. 
So we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? Verse 5, for the Lord is God. When I was in the Dominican Republic several years ago, it was really interesting. We were sitting in a Bible study, and it was a Dominican youth pastor teaching these Dominican youth. And I was just listening in, and as he was teaching, he was holding up these posters of these children from Africa. I thought this was really interesting. And I didn't know all the things that he was saying, but I was picking up on it. Basically, he was teaching them, like, look at, look at these kids and what they live in and what they walk through and how their life is. And God has blessed us. And, you know, he's, he's teaching them these things. And I'm sitting here just amazed by this. There's one p- picture in particular, this, this child that had um, a two-liter bottle that was smushed down under the child's feet with, with tape wrapped around it to kind of function as a, as a sandal for, for him to walk on. And it sparked up this incredible dialogue between the youth pastor and these students. And the translator was sitting next to me. And so I just, I said, tell me what, what they're saying. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what they're saying. And she said, well, they're just basically expressing how grateful they are that they need to make sure that they never forget how much God has blessed them and that they have food and they have clothes and they have shoes and they have all these things. And, and I'm sitting here just blown away in my mind because I'm sitting here thinking, wait, this is a conversation we have in America isn't it? And so I asked the translator, I said, where do these students, where do these teenagers live? And earlier that day, church, I had gone through these different villages and these different areas where these dilapidated homes with center block walls with a concrete floor and about the five by five, 10 by 10 size house to the point where our garages are luxurious I said, where do these teenagers live? And she said, in the very places that you walked and visited today. And it blew me away because what was happening in that moment was they were recognizing that even though compared to what we have, they have nothing. There was a posture of gratitude that was overflowing in worship out of their lives in community together at that local church. You see it, the overflow of thanksgiving in our life as we foster this in our life ought to lead to a praise and glory to God and a humble gratitude for what he has given us. Church, what's the overflow of your heart? What's growing in your heart? Is it thankfulness? Number three is this, the reminder of thanksgiving. The reminder of thanksgiving. And this is so interesting. If you look at verse 5, he says, For the Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever, his faithfulness through all generations. Now, what's this reminder? The reminder of our thanksgiving is rooted in this statement, his faithful love endures forever. This word in the Hebrew is hesed. It is a word that that means loving kindness. It's a steadfastness. It's a sense in which it roots itself in the very covenant that God made with his people. In other words, the reminder is that we can be thankful because God will always hold to his promise. He will always be faithful. There will never be a time and a moment in which he turns his back on that which he has declared. 
if you think back to Exodus, all the way back when God gave the Ten Commandments and, and the, the, the law, if you will, to his people. If you remember, Moses went up on top of the mountain. He was up there for a really long time. So much so, so long that the people on the ground got bored, right? What happens when we get bored? We get ourselves into trouble, don't we? And so in that moment, when they were sitting down there at the ground thinking, well, I guess Moses is gone. Who knows what's happened to him up on the mountain? They got creative and they thought, well, let's make our own version of God. Let's make our own idols. So they take all their jewelry, all their gold, and they melt it down and they make a golden calf. Well, Moses, after being in the very glory of God, comes down the mountain. It says that his face is shining, shining from the glory that he had been in. He comes down and he sees their rebellion and anger. He throws the tablets down and they break. And it's just this really bad scene. And what's interesting is in that moment, God could have said, enough. But what did God do? Because he had made a covenant promise. Because he is a God of said, of faithful love, of loving kindness that will always go on. It will never be broken. He says, Moses, come back up on the mountain. We're going to do this again. And that account is found in Exodus chapter 34. And listen to what it says. It says, the Lord passed in front of him, Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a, listen to how he describes himself, a compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. That's that word has said, that loving kindness, that covenant love and truth, maintaining has said faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. And he goes on and on and on. And, but, but what he's doing is he's rooting his mercy and forgiveness in this um, sense in which he's going to continue on with the people of God because of his character, because of the hesed, because of the loving kindness. And so when the psalmist in Psalm 100 is moving and, and calling the people to praise and worship and thankfulness, and he says, for the Lord is good. Oh, how is he good? Oh, he is a God who has faithful love, has said. And then all of a sudden, for those that understand what's happening, their mind goes back to Exodus 34, that story that has been told for generations of Moses on top of the mountain and the Lord declaring, I am a God who has faithful love that will last for generations and generations and generations. All of a sudden, the reminder is to remember back to the very character and very nature of who God is, that his love is faithful. And what he calls us to do today is to remember. What he called the people to was to remember, to think back, to look back upon, to remember, to remember, to remember. When you go into the promised land, do not forget, remember who I am. Do not forget, remember who I am. Remember my faithfulness. Remember all that I've done in your life. Church, it is important that you remember God's faithfulness and the faithful work in your life in the past watch this because it's then that it stirs within you a trust to trust in him for his faithfulness in the future because he is the same yesterday today and forevermore come on do you see it listen 
when we express thankfulness, when we say, God, thank you for, and you fill in the blank, what you're doing is you are remembering his faithful work in the past. And that sets you up to walk in trust in the future. Church, remember his promise. Remember his faithfulness. Church, when we foster a thankful heart, reflecting on God's faithfulness in the past, it moves us forward. It renews within us the steadfastness to trust God for the future. Church, what are you remembering? Are you remembering your circumstances? Or are you remembering a faithful God who loves you, who cares for you, who has been there and always will be there? Several years ago, this chapter, Psalm 100, came alive to me in this understanding of thankfulness. It was in 2014 that we got a call that my grandfather had passed away. And I've told you this story in the sense that both of them passed away in the same week. But my dad's dad, when he passed away, we all went to Memphis to, to celebrate his life and to think through that and have a celebration of life service. And they asked me to speak in it. And man, I was honored and humbled by that. And so we began sharing stories and, and just kind of hearing more of the details. And my, my granddad, he was 94 when he passed away. He lived a great life, incredible man of God. And the way I was told, the story went, was he, was, he had a caretaker, a, a, a nurse that was with him and sat with him for 24 hours a day, just always taking care of him. And that day that he passed away, he was, he was laying on his bed and she was sitting next to him in a chair. And I was told that she was reading Psalm 100 to him. And she said this, she said, I was reading Psalm 100 to him and he looked over at me and then he closed his eyes. I was like, wow, what does Psalm 100 say? I gotta go read this. And I went and I read Psalm 100. And all of a sudden, it became clear. Church, I've, I've never been at the point of knowing that I'm about to take my last breath. But I can imagine if I'm in that moment, my mind is thinking to what's next. So I tried to picture my grandfather as he's laying there on that bed. And he's hearing this nurse read this passage over and over and over again. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Can you imagine what he's trying to process and think, man, what, what's it going to be like? How, how much shouting is going to be happening? What's going to happen? Verse 3, acknowledge that the Lord is God. You think he's thinking, God, I love you. You're my God. I haven't been perfect, but you're a gracious God. He made us. We are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Now, I don't know. I would like to imagine that that moment is when he looked over at her and closed his eyes. And all of a sudden, words became meaningful. 
all of a sudden he's hearing about this and picturing in his mind, what's it going to be like when I walk through the gates? And then he was doing it. Then he was doing it. And I guarantee you there was lots of triumphant shouting. I guarantee you there was a lot of giving thanks. My granddad was a doctor. He had much in this world. But I can promise you that his declaring and shouting of thanksgiving when he walked through those gates had nothing to do with what he had on this earth. It had everything to do with there is my Savior. There's my Savior. What are we thankful for? What's the grounds upon which you give thanks? What is the overflow of your heart this Thanksgiving season? And church, remember, remember, remember God and his faithful love for generation upon generation upon generation. Give thanks. Let's pray together. Father, we Father, we simply say thank you. There's moments where words just don't even seem like enough. God, we give you thanks for the provision that we have. We thank you for the food that we have. We thank you for the homes we have to live in and the cars we have to drive and the clothes we get to wear and the friends we have and the jobs we have and God, those things pale in comparison. God, we thank you for you. For you are God. For you are good. And your faithful love endures forever. God, I pray for us as a people. God, I pray for each person in this room. God, that you would stir within us an understanding that our gratitude has nothing to do with what this world offers or what this world has. It has everything to do with who you are and what you have. God, may we as your people be a people of thanksgiving so that we can shine a light of hope in a world that is full of despair. God, forgiveness when we, forgive us when we are not grateful. Forgive us when we harbor envy and jealousy pride. God, change us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're going to stand. We're going to respond. Maybe in this song, and just whether vocally or quietly, you need to just shout a shout of thanksgiving to the Lord. Maybe you need to confess that you haven't fostered that in your life and just say, Lord, help me to be thankful. You respond as the Lord leads. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.